This week on A Lively Experiment, Rhode Island dodges a bullet, keeping both of its congressional seats. We'll tell you how it happened. And more COVID restrictions are being rolled back. What will this summer look like? A Lively Experiment is generously underwritten by... For more than 30 years, A Lively Experiment has provided insight and analysis of important political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm John Hazen White, Jr., and I'm proud to support this great program in Rhode Island PBS. Joining us with the analysis, Sue Sienke, chairwoman of the Rhode Island Republican Party, attorney and legal analyst Lou Polner, and Ian Donis, political and investigative reporter for The Public's Radio. Hi, everyone. I'm Jim Hummel, and welcome to Lively. Well, for weeks, the political prognosticators said that it was inevitable that Rhode Island would lose one of its congressional seats, setting up an intriguing scenario next year for the incumbents, David Cicilline and Jim Landigeron. Well, they were proven wrong when the census showed that Rhode Island's population justified keeping that seat. A little earlier this week, I sat down with John Marion. He's the longtime head of Common Cause Rhode Island, which was instrumental behind the scenes in making sure that everyone in the 401 was counted, even during a pandemic. Here's a little bit of what he had to tell me. Pandemic created a lot of uncertainty around the census. Uh, groups had to change the way they did outreach. The census had to way, change the time frame for uh, door knocking and so forth. And so, you know, I was pessimistic that we were going to lose, um, but I thought there was more uncertainty around the question. So the, the bigger news in some ways um, financially wasn't that we're keeping the second congressional seat. It's that we grew unexpectedly fast in the last decade. Uh, so there are more than 40,000 Rhode Islanders uh, in 2020 that there weren't in 2010. And that's going to yield a lot of money. It's roughly $2,000 per person per year for 10 years of federal money that taxpayers pay flow back to the state based on the census. Rhode Island was the only place in the country where the Census Bureau tested the census. The Census Bureau came in, hired a thousand people in Rhode Island in 2018 to do a census and nobody knew about it because the Census Bureau spent zero dollars on advertising and outreach. And we said, this is what it's going to look like if nobody does outreach. The bigger contrast is the states like Texas and Florida and Arizona that didn't gain the seats they expected to gain. They spent zero dollars on outreach. Rhode Island spent a million and a half, which was a million and a half more than Rhode Island had ever spent. Uh, and that will yield roughly $100 million in federal money coming back to the state in the next 10 years. So good news all around. Ian, let me begin with you. You've done some reporting on this also. I know you spoke to John Mary. And your thoughts just about uh, the surprise. Were you surprised? I was surprised. I mean, many of us took this as a fait accompli that Rhode Island would lose to one of its two congressional seats. As John Marion says, this is good news. It will, it will keep more federal money coming into Rhode Island. It, it maintains the status quo as far as having two congressional representatives. It would have been a loss in stature if the state had lost one. It was kind of funny whenever 
political reporters like me have talked to David Cicilline or Jim Langevin in recent years. We ask them, what are you going to do in 2022? What are you going to do if one of these seats is elected? And their stock reply was, well, that's so far away. I never think about my, you know, I, I don't even think about that. And that was obviously ridiculous. Cicilline came out with a, uh, an aggressive statement about his fundraising uh, a few weeks ago in kind of a show of force. But, you know, for the benefit of Langevin and Cicilline, now they don't have to worry about that. I don't think it was ever going to come down to a head-to-head race between the two of them. And this is more good news for Governor Dan McKee. He should go out and buy a lottery ticket because he's just having a lot of good fortune as far as timing with the pandemic abating, with the federal stimulus money coming in, and now with more federal money coming in thanks to the results of the uh, uh, reapportionment. And to Ian's point... Go ahead, Lou. I was just going to say, to Ian's point, uh, the governor is also benefiting from the fact that we keep uh, Langevin and we keep Cicilline, and that means neither one of them will be running against him for governor. Yeah, exactly. And Sue, lucky you, you have to come up with two Republicans now instead of one for those congressional seats. Right. Actually, I think it's great news. Um, I think I was one of the people on the other side that was saying we were going to keep it. Um, I looked at what some of the um, other states were not doing in terms of counting. I mean, you look at New York, they lost a seat because of 89 people. Had they counted 89 people, they would have kept a seat. Um, You know, in terms of the 435 seats that are there, we are now at 428, which isn't great news, but for the next 10 years, it is good news for us. We would have lost a tremendous amount of federal dollars Um, I say, you know, in the national scene, we are inconsequential. We would have been completely inconsequential and irrelevant to everybody had we lost a seat. Uh, We would have lost an electoral vote. We had four. Um, It wasn't since 1790 that we had one congressional seat. You know, we went one, two, three, and we were on the downside from three, two to one. Um, So I think it's great news. Um, Kudos to everybody that was involved in the census. I had worked the 2010 census and was very worried because we were razor thin men. So um, I'm grateful for everybody that filled out that census. It's very good news for Rhode Island. One other quick point. A couple of years ago, some people scoffed when State Representative Carlos Toban a, from Pawtucket suggested uh, giving people a stipend to move to Rhode Island. Maybe his idea was uh, fair for criticism, but I think it's important for the state to think about its population. Now we have 10 years to consider growth and how Rhode Island can maintain its political representation going forward. Providence was a much more populous city 100 years ago. Uh, you know, there's room for Rhode Island to grow in terms of population and its tax base. So that's something that elected officials should be thinking about. Lou, were you surprised by the results? I was, but I was gratified. And, you know, it's a little early in the show, but kudos to John Marion. Uh, really, a solid effort uh, protected this state going forward uh, for the next 10 years. And I think uh, he deserves a lot of uh, a lot of credit. Yeah. And you remember, I mean, he talked about uh, that I had totally forgotten about this. They kind of ran a trial back in 2018. And, you know, there was the issue uh, under the Trump administration with the, the question of immigration. But that trial run really, I think, set the stage. And Ian, I'm, I think he talked to you a little bit about that, too. That two years ago kind of set the stage for how to do it. But he told me New York, they had to pivot because of the pandemic. You couldn't go door to door. New York was ready to spend hundreds of millions of dollars. And then Rhode Island was nimble enough to pivot online to get people out. 
yeah, there were also concerns about how the Trump administration was uh, supervising the census process and whether that was going to inhibit the count. So, in you know, it was like trying to do the census under the most arduous circumstances with the pandemic and everything else. So, you know, the way that it worked out for Rodan couldn't have been much better. All right. It may be early in the show, but kudos Kathy Gregg and the Providence Journal, they have been relentless trying to get the information on exactly who works at the convention center, which has been a lost leader for years. They finally, the attorney general said, uh, it's a private company, but it's funded by, that hire the employees, the vast majority of employees, but it's important for the public to know this. This should be a public record. Sue, no surprise at all. It, It is a list of everybody's cousin, uncle, sister-in-law, and everybody else. What, what did you think when you read that story that Kathy put out earlier this week? Well, it was a great job of investigating reporting, certainly. What I saw about it was, hey, we need oversight. So the Oversight Committee in the General Assembly really needs to dig deep into what Kathy has done and ask a lot of questions. We're paying an awful lot of money. Um, it was one of the areas when uh, the pandemic hit that the governor put up a, a, a hospital there. $4 million they received a tax dollars that were not utilized correctly. So it's just more taxpayer dollars being wasted. Um, you know, I think the General Assembly really needs to look at how our taxpayer dollars are being spent there. Yeah, Lou, they lost $30 million last year. And what they would argue as well, it brings in a lot of revenue when you have the NCAAs and you have the concerts and everything else. But it's a, the, the salary struck me as being pretty high for the positions that, that were listed. Well, what do we, I think we fund them through the legislature, $30 million a year and $17 million is used for salaries and personnel. Uh, that's obviously more than 50%. I think it's, uh, well, again, as you said, kudos to the journal and Kathy Gregg and kudos to uh, Attorney General Morona. Once again, he stepped in like he did with the uh, CRMC and that's your bailiwick, Jim, but uh, He's been proactive in uh, being there for the citizens of the state. And this is just another example. Yeah, Ian, this is an area that for so long it's been tough to get it. And now the sunshine is finally shining. Yeah, as Justice Brandeis said, sunlight is the best disinfectant. This information is absolutely in the public interest. So kudos to Kathy Gregg and the Providence Journal for fighting for this information. It's important to connect these dots. I mean, I did a couple of years ago when Nick Mattiello was speaker, looking at how uh, patronage hires from his district had almost tripled during the course of his time as speaker. So it's important for reporters and news organizations to present this information so the public can evaluate it. Yeah, and, and uh, Ian, it's a side uh, it's a side bar, but, you know, when Joe Sicarci came in, boy, that District 15 payroll went right out the window, didn't it? Yep, it sure did, absolutely, and it'll be worth following up in a few years to see uh, if Warwick residents have gotten <laughs> more state house jobs under Speaker Sicarci. There you go. All right, moving along, uh, the outdoor mask mandate, the CDC revised its guidelines, and Rhode Island is following suit. It sets up an interesting scenario now as we begin to go back. You have some people who say it's too soon. Others are saying we've waited way too long. Lou, I wonder, let me start with you on this. I wonder, um, I think it's correct. I mean, outside they've shown is very, uh, and more people are vaccinated, it's very uh, low risk. But I wonder how this is going to go as we go through the summer. 
Governor McKee has competing, he's got the health people, he's got the business people, he's got the small uh, business people, um, how he's going to navigate that as we begin to roll back these uh, regulations. Well, it's clear he wants to be very liberal. He wants the state opening up, as he said, everybody make your reservations for uh, Mother's Day. Uh, he's pushing it. He said the concerts in Newport, everything's going to be a go, which I think is exciting. I think it's important here is not to mix the message. And by mix the message, what could have been an outrage was uh, President Biden walking uh, outside of the White House yesterday up to the podium all alone with a mask on to tell the people that when you're outside, a mask is no longer necessary. Uh, so I think it's important that there not be mixed messaging. And I think uh, Governor McKee is uh, is on target. And I think he's doing I think he's doing everything the right way. So I think uh, Lou is absolutely correct about mis mixed messaging. You know, it was interesting last night when you saw the president uh, give his speech to Congress and he didn't have a mask. The um, vice president and the speaker of the House had the mask on. And then when they were leaving, they were not abiding by social distancing. They were touching and hugging and everything. There's so many mixed messages that people get confused as to what's appropriate, what's not. Do you need masks outside? Most people weren't wearing them. Um, you know, when you go to a restaurant, you have to wear one to come in, but when you sit down, you don't need one. It's an airborne virus. So there's lots of mixed messages. Let's stick to what is important. Let's follow the science and let's start opening up our businesses because that's how the economy is going to get back. Uh, yeah, Ian? Where it should be. Yeah, there's a lot of pent up emotion, understandably, for people who want to get back to something more like what it was like before the pandemic. That's very understandable. And all the indicators seem to be trending in a favorable direction with the warmer weather. The concern is about the variants and how the good news that is happening now might discourage more people from getting vaccinated. That would be a mistake. There is a problem with vaccine hesitancy, and it's important for people to continue to get vaccinated to, you know, nip the pandemic in uh, where it is and keep things on an improving trend. So I think that's an important thing to watch going forward. Uh, the governor is about two months in now. I said last week, it's funny, whenever he comes to the podium, he's got the little card. It's like, you know, Joe Biden has the card in his hand with the with the number of people who have been infected and deaths. He goes, oh, day 48. And to remind you that he has not been here forever. L let's just go around the horn as this panel. I think the last time you guys were on, he was just beginning to take over as governor. Lou, two months in, what's your scorecard on the new governor? I'm giving him a B plus. I think he's upbeat. He uh, doesn't talk down to... Uh, the constituency. Uh, he really does want to open up the economy. And I just, uh, I, I'm very impressed with him so far. And uh, I certainly, he's the front runner for uh, re-election. Uh, Ian, what do you think? Yeah, Governor McKee is in the catbird seat right now. It's still early and we don't know what's going to happen between now and the September primary next year, but his tone has been good. He's, he seems relatable. He seems like a typical Rhode Islander. I think the, you know, he seems well-intentioned. I think the public supports him and I think he's off to a good start. So I give him about a C. I think that he's um, been in the closet for six years as lieutenant governor. He really had no rules and responsibilities. He was a small town mayor. Um, I will say that he's accessible. He's affable. Those are always good qualities for a governor. But I think that he is being pushed too far to the left. When he signed that climate bill, which I think is just an outrageous um, 
takeover of a non-elected bureaucrats that are going to run our energy policy here. I think that was a bad move. I think it hurts small businesses. And he has always been known as the, the gentleman in charge of and helping small businesses out. I think that's going to crush small businesses. I think it's going to crush affordable housing in Rhode Island. And that's also something uh, to go back to what Ian said about the next 10 years, we have to look at how we're going to attract more people here. 40,000 more people is great, but those 40,000 more people are, we increased our social services by 40,000 people. That doesn't help us grow the economy and stimulate um, growth in Rhode Island. So those are the, th the things I'm worried about. Um, certainly there are three other people on the Democratic side that have expressed interest in running for governor. So I think it is not going to be an easy path for him. He is the sitting governor, so he has a bully pulpit. But it will certainly, the Democratic primary will certainly be interesting next year. Did, Sue, did you think he was going to veto that climate bill? Um, I absolutely did. Um, I thought it might be overridden, but I actually thought that he would come out and say, you know, we've got to tweak this. We've got to tweak the bill a little bit and have more General Assembly oversight into anything that comes out of that unelected bureaucrats. Currently, the Colorado governor, who is a, a Democrat, is now in the position he's going to veto that climate bill. And that was announced uh, on Twitter this morning by Ted Nisi. Ian, what did you hear about that? Because I think uh, Governor McKees, I thought he was against it for other reasons. And then he said he was concerned about uh, about potential litigation down the line. And then the, the attorney general answered that question. I, I thought I agreed with Sue. I thought that he had some concerns. And then all of a sudden it seemed to be, yes, I'm behind this. They've answered my questions. Yeah, as you say, Jim, I mean, as far as what the governor said, it seemed like his main concern was the potential for litigation. Attorney General Peter Nerona allayed that concern. We had uh, Representative Barbara Ann Fenton Fung, the Cranston Republican, on our political roundtable at the Publix Radio last week. And she takes a, an opposite view from our friend, the Republican chairwoman here. Um, uh, Representative Fenton Fung thinks that this cl the Climate Act will be good for Rhode Island, good for its economy. So there's room for debate debate on this, even among Republicans, we know that uh, climate change is a real threat and that we're very vulnerable to it here in Rhode Island. So, uh, you know, how this gets implemented will be a big issue moving forward. Uh, to the chairwoman's point, there are unelected state bureaucrats who have a lot of responsibility over various aspects of state policy on a day-to-day -day basis. But this is, uh, you know, we will see how this sugars off in the years ahead and there'll be opportunity for more debate on it. So you want the final word on that? Yeah, I think that most Republicans disagree with the Climate Act, and not because we don't believe in a, a clean environment, um, but certainly there has got to be some talk about maybe nuclear energy. It's clean. It's, it's reliable. You know, we're relying on wind turbines and solar energy, which are not reliable. We haven't figured out the dilithium crystals yet from Star Trek, how to use them. So um, we believe in technological innovation and a free market that promotes that. We want to find different resources. You know, you're talking about um, putting electric heat in people's homes. I lived with electric heat down in the South, and let me tell you, it doesn't keep you warm. Uh, we don't have a reliable energy source that's cheap and reliable yet. 
Um, we're working on it. I, I think it's important to diversify our energy and not just rely on wind, en wind energy, wind turbines, or solar, which deforestation is a problem when you have solar panels that you're taking farmland um, and forest to make these solar panels. And then what do you do with the waste products from them? So I think it's certainly a topic that we're interested in, that we've got to talk about. And then you've got to look globally at what China is doing. One, uh, they're putting up a new coal fire plant, uh, at least one a week. Um, that's not good for the environment. You know, Little Rhode Island can do its job here of making sure we protect the environment. But um, I just don't think the Climate Act, the way it was uh, legislated, is, is going to be good for Rhode Island. So that may be the first Star Trek reference that we've ever had during my time as a moderator. I, I fully appreciate that. Lou, I, I, don't want, I don't want to move on without giving you the chance to talk because we have been talking about the, uh, the climate bill. What, what are your thoughts on that? Well, just to Sue's point, I mean, we can only do so much, and I don't think we should break our back in our budget trying to meet the, uh, the climate bill uh, requirements. Uh, when you talk about China and the rest of the world, if they're not jumping on, why should we, why should we go to the... To the, to the wall or to the mat uh, on this particular issue when it's only going to hurt us. Uh, so I share Sue's concerns on, in that regard. Okay. Folks, there have been a, a lot of uh, press, a lot of headlines about the uh, the merger of Lifespan and Care New England. Kind of flying under the radar, but not under Ian's radar, has been another issue involving Roger Williams Medical Center and Fatima. So I'm going to let him set the table on this. He had a great article. Go to the Public's Radio uh, website and you can read it. But Ian will give us the, uh, the Reader's Digest version on Lively. Yeah, and thanks, Jim. And, and this matters because Roger Williams Medical Center and Fatima Hospital in North Providence are two of the largest employers in their respective communities. They're big taxpayers, two wealthy guys from California who have taken million dollars in dividends out of the hospital chain that they have a minority stake in are now trying to get the majority stake in it. This would give them total control of Fatima and Roger Williams Hospital. Uh, there was a report by a respected accounting firm that's showing that this hospital chain has some serious financial concerns. As of last September, it had more than a, a billion dollars more in liabilities than in assets. The union at Fatima says this raises questions about whether Fatima and Roger Williams are going to be able, where they're going to be in a few years from now. And those are important healthcare institutions in our community. So this is a, a story that deserves attention. And what about the regulators here? Where, what, at what point are we are in the ball game right now, and in, in the state regulators? Right. Um, earlier this month, an advisory group known as the Health Services Council voted four to one to recommend approval of this change, giving these two California guys complete ownership of the chain that includes Fatima and Roger Williams. The decision of whether to accept or reject that now goes to state health director, Dr. Nicole Alexander Scott. I suspect she will impose a bunch of conditions while approving this that would, uh, you know, be aimed at maintaining some oversight over the financial questions that are present in this story. Okay. Ian, just a quick question. Does the Attorney General have any say in this? 
Yes, Lou, he does. And it's worth note, uh, as part of this uh, state law called the Hospital Conversion Act, the, the AG and the health department do a review of this kind of health transaction. This review has been repeatedly extended and it's still going on. And Attorney General Peter Nerona told me earlier this year that he's looking at this so carefully because of the financial questions that are raised by this. And he wants to make sure that Fatima and, and Roger Williams Medical Center continue to operate in the future. Uh, before we go to Outrageous Sue, I just wanted to give you a chance quickly to weigh in. Uh, I just want to say, good job, Ian. Uh, that's really important information. You know, it's always the devil in the details when you're talking about hospital mergers. Um, I certainly think that Roger Williams and Fatima both do a great job um, in servicing the community that they're, they're in. So it's important to make sure that they're healthy and that they can provide those services. So thank you, Ian, for uh, uncovering that. Yeah, and Thank again, you. you can see that on uh, the public's uh, radio website uh, posted just uh, on Wednesday, right, Ian? It's fresh. That's right. Excellent. At, the pu- at thepublicsradio.org. Thank you. Okay, okay. Uh, Lou, let's go to outrages and or kudos. You uh, gave us a little a little sneak preview earlier. Do you have anything else in your back pocket? The kudos do belong where, the, where they were given earlier to the journal, the attorney general, uh, but and Kathy Gregg in particular. But no, my, my uh, outrage goes to freshman Senator uh, Megan Coleman from Pawtucket, who is sponsoring legislation that pretty much sets forth that when you renew your license to drive or you get a new license to drive, if you don't affirmatively opt out, then you are agreeing to be an organ donor. Now, this is the Rhode Island version of invasion of the body snatchers. So people who are either illiterate or who don't know any better or just oblivious to what this is, they could be sacrificing their organs upon their death. And if you ask me, this is completely ridiculous. Uh, I think it, it has the id factor. It's morbid. It's stupid. And even the ACLU and New England donor services are against it. So that that speaks volumes. <laughs> right. Invasion of the body snatchers. Uh, Sue, can you follow that? Sure. And I'm going to follow it on a much happier note then. Uh, my kudos this week is to a young man, uh, Quidi Pei, who is a graduate of uh, Bishop Hendricken High School. Um, this evening, he is going to be the first Rhode Islander since 1939 that will be drafted in the first round of the NFL draft. He has this most remarkable story. I hope people in Rhode Island follow it. His mother was from the war-torn country of Liberia, came to America, and came to Providence, Rhode Island. She worked three jobs to put this young man through Hendricken. He graduated with a 3.97 GPA and got a scholarship to Michigan, the University of Michigan. He said to his mother, if you pay for me to go to Bishop Hendricken High School, I will get a scholarship to college that you won't have to pay. And he kept up his word. His, his work ethic when he was at school was absolutely remarkable. And it is just such a feel-good story for Rhode Island. Um, he talked about how Will Blackman encouraged him when he was younger to uh, keep working hard. So he was a just a truly terrific scholar athlete, and I couldn't be happier for this young man. Yeah, I agree with that. And what a lot of people may not realize, he originally committed to Boston College, and then and then Michigan came hunting. And I'm not saying he wouldn't have been a first round pick it, it, with Boston College, but Michigan much higher profile. Uh, Ian, you get the last minute outrage or kudo. 
Okay, at the risk of self-serving, I'm going to toss a kudos to my fellow reporters here in Rhode Island. Despite all the challenges facing the media in our current moment, there's a lot of good public interest-oriented reporting going on by various reporters and news organizations ranging from for-profit to non-profit, from big to little. And the, 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 I think if there's an important story that needs to get out, we reporters are going to get after it. I think people appreciate us reporters in Rhode Island. We're trying to do the job. And so kudos to uh, my, my colleagues. Great. Uh, I would second that, definitely. Uh, thank you, folks. That is all the time. But you know what? It's not over yet. we got a lot of national issues to talk about, the president's first 100 days and a few other things. So if you want to continue with this panel of Susie Yankee and Lou Polner and Ian Donis, go right now to ripbs.org slash lively, where we have a special online bonus segment for the rest of you come back next week and if you don't catch us at friday at seven sunday at noon on air you can always catch us online we put all of our shows up on the station's website on twitter on facebook and podcasts if you're riding in the car and you want to listen to this and you uh take us along wherever you get your favorite podcast have a great week and we'll see you back here next week as the lively experiment continues Experiment is generously underwritten by. For more than 30 years, a lively experiment has provided insight and analysis of important political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm John Hazen White Jr., and I'm proud to support this great program in Rhode Island PBS.